turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm not going to take a long time, but I was ministering to you something Sunday morning about just the purposes of God and the grace of God. And I wanted to come back to this tonight and talk to you about it for just a few minutes. But I wanted to go beyond Ephesians chapter 1. And I, y'all pray that I don't walk off this stage. <laughs> I don't think I'll land like Jared Jenkins did when he did the heel click and I think I got to get used to this. Um, so anyway, in Ephesians chapter one, if we can, we're just going to read it together. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And so obviously this letter is to believers. It's to the saints, to those that are faithful and this word is very important. If you, if you like to mark in your Bibles, mark the word in because he uses it a lot in chapter 1. And it's very important because if we don't understand this context, then it's obvious that we can begin to get into some error. You could get into some Calvinism very easily if you're not careful in Ephesians chapter 1. And I do not believe that Calvinism is a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And so he tells us this in verse 2, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I want you to understand that I believe Paul is trying to emphasize how part, how important it is that you are in Christ. Not that you're in church, but you're in Christ. Not that you're just in the right doctrine, but you're in Christ. You must be in Him. And that is life. If you're not in Christ, you're in Adam, and you would still be under God's wrath and God's judgment against sin. And so God blesses us in Christ And the Bible says in verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Some, Some people would try to take that and build a Calvinist doctrine out of that. You see, God has chosen certain people before the foundation of the world who are going to be saved. That's not what it says. What it says is God has chosen us in him. Anybody that would come in to Jesus Christ, God hath chosen them. The predestination is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The predetermined destiny of God that he's mentioned to us in verse 4 is that everyone who comes into Christ will stand before God with holy and without blame. That's the destiny. You will be like Jesus. That is the predetermined will of God. Not who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost. But God says, I will only save those who are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you will not be saved. This is the predetermined will of God or God's predestined purpose for mankind. And he wants all men to be saved. Jesus is big enough for every man to come into. But some people will not choose to come into Christ. And so verse 4 says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That word love is, is, is the word love feast. Um, it, it's where you would understand in, in, the, 
in the Eastern world, a, a wedding banquet and a feast of festivities. And these things could literally go on for weeks in the, in the Eastern culture where they're celebrating a particular wedding. It is a very expensive and lavish festival when somebody is getting married. And it's a celebration every day. The finest foods, the finest wine, the finest celebration, the finest music. And what's, and I just want to put this into you because what God is planning for you when you leave this world and go into heaven is God is planning for you a love feast where God really wants to celebrate to you and with you his grace and his goodness. And the greatest, most joyful wedding celebration you've ever been to in your life is a poor shadow of the kind of celebration we're going to have with God in heaven where we do have the finest music and the finest food and the finest celebrations and the finest dancing and the finest everything in the presence of God. And it's literally never going to end. It is going to go on and on and on forever because it's according to the riches of God's grace, which never run out. It's according to the bounty of God, which is limitless. And so this love feast can also mean the word entertainment, that God is looking forward to entertaining you and celebrating you in the form of some type of wedding celebration throughout all of eternity. He's going to, it's a honeymoon that never ends. It's an excitement of a groom over a bride that never ends. And this is the joy and the delight of God for those that are in Christ with him forever and ever and ever. And it's just absolutely tremendous what God is, is telling us. So it's important that you understand the word in love. It's not just the fact that God loves you, but God wants to celebrate this love that he has for you. And he wants to demonstrate it to you in heaven. And the Bible says in verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. He's not predestining who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. He is predestining everyone that comes into Christ to be made a son or a daughter. You're not going to go to heaven as a slave. You're not going to go to heaven just as a doorkeeper. That would be enough for us, wouldn't it? But you're going to go to heaven as a son or a daughter of God. This is a high favor that God is bestowing upon us who were his enemies. And so this is the destiny that God has for people that are coming to Jesus Christ. And so he's predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It's his good pleasure. He likes, he delights in this. He delights in saving you. He delights in perfecting you. He delights in his ability to make you holy and blameless before him. He's never frustrated with that. He's never, he, he already understands before you were ever created, before the six days were ever happening in creation, God knew you and he knew every failure you would ever have even after you were a Christian and he was not reluctant to save you still because he delights in perfecting you and he's going to perfect you. It is his desire. It is his delight that God is going to do this. And so he says, and I'm just going to come into verse six. To the praise of the glory of his grace, 
wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. That's how we're accepted. You have to be in Christ to be accepted. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And so I'm going to touch on this very quickly because I spoke a good bit on this last Sunday morning. And if you missed it, I encourage you to listen to it. It was titled Grace All Over the Ground. And I, I encourage you to listen to it. But the Bible says here very carefully that God, to the praise of the glory of his grace, because God has done something to us. He has made us accepted in the beloved. That's what he's done. And, it, and it's not just the fact that God accepts us and he's willing to let us come to heaven. But he's done something much more than that. God has actually made you something. And the Bible says that we have become new creatures in Jesus Christ. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. And God now is the one who takes the responsibility of this work. He's not trusting you to do it. He's not trusting me as the preacher to do it. He's not trusting the church to do it. God is doing it. That's why the Bible in in Ephesians 1 so many times is celebrating the grace of God to the praise of the glory of His grace because it is through that that God is making us something. And if you recall, He has made us accepted and that word accepted means to be lovely, to be gracious, to, to bestow or endue with a special favor. And what better favor could you be given than every spiritual blessing in heaven? I mean, you know, we live in this world that's carnal, and we have so much access to things because of God, and He's blessed us, especially as Americans. We're blessed with so many things. But when you go to heaven, there's not going to be a vault that's locked to you. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Everything is yours. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. Nothing is off limits to you when you get to heaven. It's all yours. He's yours. Jesus is yours. And so what what an incredible thing that God has done in favoring us to be made his sons and his daughters. And the way that God does this, the way, and this is so important. Y'all, this is the new covenant. And this is what I want you to understand about, you know, the word covenant, it's an agreement. You need to understand that because there's a lot of Christians that still do not understand how God can be kind to them or God can like them or God can love them because they are aware of their own imperfection. They are aware of their own failure and they just do not believe that God can really be good to me and God can really help me and God can really be gracious to me until I begin to perform at a certain level. Or I arrive at a certain standard that all Christians should be at. Now I can expect God to do some good things for me. And that is old covenant theology. But new covenant theology, the new covenant is an agreement between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And I'm not going to go into all of the agreement about that. But what God the Father has done is made a statement to His Son... Everyone who comes to you, I will in no wise cast out. And and God says to his son, and Jesus even proclaims this in Hebrews, a body you have prepared for me. And the agreement of the son was, I'll go to earth as a man and I'll live a perfect and obedient life. 
I will do everything that you desire. I will fulfill everything that is written. And I will offer myself in a sacrifice, in an atoning sacrifice for the sins and the failures of every human that has ever lived. And the Father says, and I will accept your blood. And I will accept your sacrifice of your perfect life. And I will receive everyone who comes to me through you. And the Holy Spirit agreement is, and I will go to them that come to Jesus and make all of this real to them. And I will sanctify them and make them holy. That's what I will do. It's an agreement among the Godhead. And you enter into this through faith. And it's not something that you're able to perform to get into it. You believe God. And so God makes you accepted. He gives you favor. God makes you gracious. He makes you agreeable. He makes you lovely. And he does it because he redeems you. And that is to legally buy you back. As I said last Sunday, there's not a claim on your life. That hell can't come and say, wait a minute, I've got to lean against Caleb. Jesus says, no, 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 I paid for him in full. It's, there, there's no lean. There's no claim. There's no, the law cannot come and say, wait a minute, the, um, I, Lee's guilty of something. No, 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 the law has no claim on me. The moment I came into Christ, because everything has been completely satisfied, the judgment of God is completely satisfied. And so there's no lien, there's no claim on my life. I have been legally paid for. I legally belong to God. God can legally satisfy his own justice and his own righteousness and be kind and good to me. A reprobate, a sinner, he can save me. He can awaken me. He can make me a son. He can bring me to heaven. I can stand before God holy and blameless and God. God can be righteous in doing it because of the new covenant. And we have to understand that. Because if you waver between the new covenant and the old covenant, then you're going to be condemning yourself one day. And you're going to be celebrating yourself another day. And you're going to be depressed another day. And you're going to, you know, i got to get back into God's graces. Well, how in the world are you going to do that if the blood of Jesus can't? And so it, this is the this is the cycle that so many people are going through because the new covenant has not been taught very well through the decades. And so I just say that to you it's important that you understand it. We have redemption, we have forgiveness of sins. And this is important the forgiveness of sins because that means that in the old covenant God covered the sins of the people, he didn't take them away. But in the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ washes our sins away. And in the declaration of God several times in the book of Hebrews is that in the new covenant, I will remember your sins no more. And I have removed them from you as far as the east is from the west. There is no record of your sin. That means that you can stand before God just as though you've never sinned. That's the work of God. God did that. God did that for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Why does God do that for us? Verse 4, so that we can go and stand before God holy and without blame. Isn't that wonderful? And that's why it should not take a lot to get a true believer to start praising God some. It should not take a lot to get a new believer, a true believer, to start shouting the victory of Jesus Christ because we were going to hell and now we're not only going to heaven, but we're going as sons and daughters of God with special favor on our life. That doesn't make us proud. That makes us humble because we didn't do it. He did it. 
And so we owe everything to him. And we thank God for what he's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so why does God do all of this for us? Well, he loves us. That's one thing. God is a God of love and God is a God of mercy and a God of redemption. And God wants to celebrate throughout all of eternity a love feast with everyone that's come to Jesus Christ. It's going to be incredible, an incredible future that we have with the Lord. And so he comes into this and he says in uh, verse 9, He's made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. And I just want you to underscore that, that God has purposed something in himself. It's in God, it's his purpose, and he wants it. And he goes on and he says this, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom, I hope you get the word in. We have obtained, not attained, that you work for it, obtained, it is a gift that's given. We have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose, and there's that word purpose again, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, or his purpose, he's working everything together for his purpose, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. And so God is working. I just want, I'm not going to belabor this, but God is working. God has a purpose that's in him. It's in his being. And it's something that God is extremely passionate about. And God, being so passionate about that purpose, went forward and began and did the creation and made the man so that God could work in order to eventually fulfill this purpose that has been inside of him. And he's doing it. He's not trusting anybody else to do it. He's doing it. Where one time in chapter 1 do you read that God wants your help? He wants your faith. He wants you to be in Christ. And then he's going to do it. And so you have this inheritance. God has purposed it. And at the end of it, God just wants your life your redeemed life, to be a part of the mystery, which is the church, and that this life, this church, in verse 12, would be to the praise of his glory throughout all of eternity. You're to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. You see what you are, God's gonna, God sees what you will be. You see your struggles, and God sees your perfection. You see your excuses, and God says, oh, if you could just see a glimpse into eternity of all that you're doing with me. No limitation. And, and this is the purposes of God. Now, it says this, and I, and I just want to come back to it in, in verse 11. It says, in whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works. And I just wanted to focus on that, him who works. Go to chapter 2 and notice, if you will, and I hope this blesses you. In Ephesians chapter 2, he tells us in verse 7 that in the ages to come, which is 
what chapter 1 has been speaking about. We're to be to the praise of His glory. There's going to be a love feast that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So, So listen to me for just a second. Many people wonder, and we love to dream about it, what is heaven going to be like? And you can talk about all types of things that the Bible describes that are in heaven, but right here is one of the most incredible revelations of heaven. Because for the rest of your eternity, God is going to be demonstrating to you the exceeding riches of His grace. If you think grace is just for a sinner, then why in the world is God longing to demonstrate His grace in eternity? And God is saying in your eternity, He's going to show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God, through all of eternity, is going to show you a richness of grace that is able to demonstrate how kind He is to you because of Jesus forever and ever and ever. And you and I get to be a part of that. Praise God. And he says, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But there is someone who's working all things, right? Chapter 1, verse 11. There is someone who's working. And it says this in verse 10 of chapter 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That is absolutely beautiful. We're His workmanship. God is doing it all. And God is going to get all of the glory and all of the praise. And He's going to lavish you for all of eternity the riches of His grace and His kindness to you through Jesus Christ. If, In the sense of a marriage, you're about to step into a marriage relationship with the kindest, noblest, greatest, enjoyable being in all of the universe who is not willing to spare his own son to get you and is going to spend eternity being kind to you because of his son, Jesus Christ. Festivities and parties and and celebrations constantly before God and before the Lamb because of those that have been saved. The Bible says in chapter 3, and I'm going to just get to this very quickly, to make all men see what, in verse 9, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God. Remember his purpose. It was a purpose in God. From the beginning of the world, it was hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now 
unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. That goes back to chapter 1, verse 12. We are to be to the praise of His glory. It goes back to chapter 2. When we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Why is all this going on? Because God is determined to fulfill His purpose, which demands your participation. And so God's at work in your life to make you a part of His church, so that through His church, God is going to demonstrate to principalities and powers His incredible wisdom and His glory and His majesty. And it's all because of what he's going to be able to do through your life and through his purposes. And so he says that, verse 10, this is his intent, that by the church would be known the manifold wisdom of God. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is his eternal purpose. And it included you. He wants everyone, but he has predetermined he will only take those who are in Christ, and nobody else will be saved. Those are the only ones, but he invites every one of them to come, and he purposes in every one of them that comes that I will make them holy and blameless before me because of the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. I will take all of them and put them in him. And in him, they will be blessed with every spiritual blessing. They will be my sons and my daughters. And I will celebrate with them throughout all of eternity. And God's purposes, though we cannot grasp them all, have something to do with that. And I was thinking about this as I oftentimes do, and that is to allow my, my brain or my thoughts to go as far back as I can possibly go. And then you just hit this wall. And it's like, in eternity past, there was God. Absolutely perfect. Absolutely holy. Lacking Nothing. And eternity, nobody made him. He never grew up. Never had his diapers changed. Always God. In eternity past. Never a beginning. And my mind's just like, where did he come from? And he came from nowhere. He was just there. How, how was he just there? How can this be? There's this perfect being that's just there. But there was. Can't grasp it. When I see him, I'm like, oh yeah. But he was there. And in the heart of that God in eternity past, if we were to measure billions of years past, that you wouldn't even come close to this. It's way before that. It was before there was a before. And there's God in his perfect essence. And inside of this God is an eternal purpose. 
And in that eternal purpose is the exact you. You. You, the one who thinks nobody loves you. You, the person who thinks that nobody cares about you and you have nothing to contribute. And back in eternity past was you. And Psalm 139 verifies this because God didn't just let you be born. He had to weave you in your mother's womb. He had to fashion you because I know what I want. I know who I want. I know what I want them to look like. I know what I want the bent of their character to be. I know how I want the moving of their personality to be. And I know what they're going to have to walk through in their life on earth, even as they get to me, because all of this matters. Everything, every betrayal, Every wound, every scar, every piece of confusion, everything matters. This is his eternal purpose. He didn't create man. And then man fails in the garden and God says, oh my, what am I going to do? I wasn't counting on this. No, he knew it all the time. And Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And then you come along. Oh, well, I was an accident. My parents didn't want me. Well, God wanted you. Regardless of how you got here, you got here as a miracle of God because He wove you and fashioned you because He wanted you to fit into His eternal purpose. And yet so many Christians are just cruising along on their complacent Christianity. When God's like, hey, wake up. In eternity past, you were in my heart. And I made you a reality. And I have invited you to come to my son, Jesus Christ, so I can give you special favor. Because I really want you to be here with me when I begin to lavish my bride with grace and kindness forever and ever and ever. And angels and principalities marvel at my wisdom to do it. I made you to be a part of it. And that changes Christianity for somebody that can have the revelation of that. Because you were in his heart in eternity past. Way before the six days of creation, everything was already done. And you had to be born. You had to be here. And God made it that way and God chose it that way. And I encourage you with the enthusiasm and the excitement of faith that I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to give us out of Ephesians 1 about to the praise of the glory of His grace, let's live like it. Let's set our affections on hearts on Jesus Christ to be able to say, I'm a part of the greatest thing that has ever happened in the universe. 
And not only am I a part of the greatest thing that has happened in the universe, God has creatively chosen for me to be alive right now on this planet that I somehow fit into his eternal purposes and then I'm going to step into eternity future and celebrate it forever and ever and ever. And I get to be a part of that. I'm a part of the bride. I'm a, I'm a child of God. What celebration? I want you to stand with me. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would give us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of this. Could we sing that again, blameless? Can we just sing that and just rejoice in the Lord? Because that's what he's made you. Oh, think about it, guys. How could we hold back? How could we not serve the Lord? How could we not devote our all? Because if we're a part of a divine purpose and a divine plan that God is working and God has even ordained your works that you should walk in them. He's already ordained that. What do you have to fear? What are you struggling to find out? God's the one working. Let him do it. Let him do it in your life. Let him show you his purposes for your life. Let him show you his callings for your life. Make no excuses. Just make an offering, a sacrifice. Let's just take a moment tonight just to sit before the Lord and let the Holy Spirit just begin to move in our life. You're important. You're not an accident. You're supposed to be here. You're supposed to be here tonight to hear this message. God chose you to hear this message tonight. God's expecting you to respond. He's expecting you to. And in your faith, just respond to Him.